Let us pray. Father in heaven, just reading those words that you provide gifts to your church to care for and defend us just rings so clearly in my ears right now. Father, without, without you, without your word, we are lost. And everything should rattle us. Everything should confuse us. Everything should cause us to despair. But that is not the state we are in. You have given to us your word. And you have preserved it over centuries, over millennia. Because you are faithful. And you are in control. So we have never been without your word. And so, Lord, be with us now as your word is preached, as your word is heard, as your word ministers to us, boldens us, as it humbles us and convicts us, as it energizes us, because we see your grace. Lord, we thank you for your grace to us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, one of the high privileges of my life is leading worship, or as John calls it, being a lead worshiper. Right? Because we're not just worship leaders up here, as he says. We're those people who are worshiping our, ourselves. We are worshiping God and inviting you to join in. Didn't know that I'd be doing this this morning. So, but still, high, high privilege. Um, you know how seriously and how passionately I take it. I think, I think uh, Don Cameron once said that before I came along, John Morkin, you know, took the prize for the person just moving around the most, just being so, just brimming with praise and, and uncontrollable, and now I have taken that from him. So, yeah, it's... You know, king of the hill, whoever else wants to take that from me, you're, you're welcome to it. Um, and then someone, I remember someone else saying that they love hearing me sing. I have such a beautiful voice. And I'm like, you are such a liar. It cannot, what I do cannot be called singing. It is, in fact, barely controlled shouting. But I think you can tell that I love doing it praising my God and my King. And that whole lead worshiping thing, that's what King David, who wrote this psalm, is doing here. So I want to go through this whole psalm with you. I know it's a little bit on the longer side, but we're going to breeze through it. I'm going to go through this whole psalm with you in different parts. And the first thing, the first point I want you to see, and you're going to see it so clearly. You're like, are you really preaching? Did you put work into this this week? The first point is praise Him. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. David, the psalmist, 
is really into this, isn't he? You can tell. I mean, this word praise, this command to praise God is found 200 times in the Psalms alone. What does it mean to praise God? When should you praise God? Why should you praise God? Are these questions that are part of your daily repertoire of, you know, how am I doing today? If they aren't, they need to be. You know, and when should you praise God? All the time. Why should you praise God? For every reason. I don't remember which one of my kids did this, but I remember something like, it, was, it wasn't a performance, it was something in nature, like a bird having just flown by, like, you know, whizzing past. And my kid just spontaneously starts clapping. Having seen something glorious, having seen something in creative order that was just fantastic. And this response of spontaneous praise comes out. You know, I like that illustration because as I, as I grew up, as I, when I was in high school, and I had to, I didn't, I lived a couple miles from school, but apparently not within the boundaries that, that uh, I could get picked up by a school bus. So I had to walk home every day for three years, you know, to and from school, regardless of the weather. And uh, I had a dinky little Walkman, and I had, I had 15 cassettes, and one of them, yeah, I know cassettes, right? Um, so there are these things that had magnetic tape, all right, that recorded information that was tr transformed into sound, all right, so just, all right. Anyway, um, and I listened to this song again and again by Keith Green. It was, uh, so just, I can't wait to get to heaven, you know, but, you know, not that I was walking to heaven on the way home from school, but... The song had so much nature, seaside, sunset, silver lining round the clouds. I mean, just birds fly singing, making such a joyful sound. And just, and being surrounded by nature, I just had to praise God for what he had created. You know, we have had a great time savoring reasons to praise God as we've been romping through the Psalms, haven't we? You know, what have we seen? We've seen how he guides us. We've seen how he meets us in his word. We've seen how he is our king. We've seen how he meets us in our suffering. How he loves us in creation. How he satisfies us and is our portion forever. How he is our shepherd. And last week, how he meets us in the morning. Who would not rise to meet such glad company? That's how one guy puts it. You know, there's this one woman in this church. I'm not going to embarrass her, but you're probably, a lot of you will know who, I, who I'm thinking of as I say this. And I go, how you doing? And she goes, Martin, God is so good. And, you know, then, then she tells me this story of how 
you know, things hurt in her body and business is tough and the kids just, things are just, and, and I'm like, all right, I'm waiting for it. But then she tells me, but Martin, God is just meeting me right here. And he is giving me such comfort and peace. I know I'd be a wreck normally, but he is giving me peace. And what that shows me is that, you know what? Praise, praising God, it's an attitude. But it's not one attitude among a gazillion. It's like an on-off switch. You've got two. You're either praising God or you're not at any given moment in your life. You're praising God or you're not. There isn't this neutral state where, well, I'm neither... I'm neither praising God, nor am I just not praising God. I'm just kind of, you know, around. You know, just what this woman, what this sister, in her experience, shows and says is that she is choosing to praise God, even when it's tough, even as other Psalms have taught us, even in our suffering, just as Jesus Christ chose to praise God while on the cross as he muttered under his breath, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because that, even that psalm results in praise of God. You know how I know that you've only got two, two modes, two, two spots on that switch, you know, not a dimmer setting? Rather, what happens if you're not actively choosing to praise God and something bad happens to you? What do you do? If you're not actively praising God and choosing to praise Him and something difficult, some suffering, something afflicts you, you wind up cursing. I know I do. So, who laughed? So, it's just, so, I know in this direction that there's a appropriate laughter. So, there's, um, you know, you curse. And who are you cursing? You know, even if you're not using vulgarity, vulgarity, you know, just... Who are you crying out against? The psalmist talks, of, David talks about praise him, praise him, praise him a whole lot of times in this passage because he knows that it is possible to forget to praise him. It is possible to forget to praise the Lord. And so he's saying, praise him and don't forget. Because what happens when we forget? You know, a friend of mine put it this way. He calls it the anti-psalm. What is the, what is the horrible, just negative version of this psalm sound like? Let me, let me read this to you. What happens when we forget? Curse the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, forget his holy name. Curse the Lord, O my soul, and remember all he refuses to give you. Who does not remove your sins and afflicts you with diseases. Who casts your life into the pit and enslaves you with hate and forsakenness. Who ignores your desires of good things so that you are always weary and 
exhausted. Isn't that a horrible, wretched picture? And yet, don't we all too often forget the goodness of God? Forget that He is worthy of our praise even in the storm. And in that darkness, this is the song that we find ourselves singing. I'm all alone. And there's no one here with me. No one understands. You know, if that were reality, then you have absolutely every reason to curse the Lord and to curse life and to regret the day you were born. But that is not the state of affairs, is it? Amen. Thank you, brother. We have been given every reason in the universe to praise our God. And so the second point that, the, that David walks us through here is remember why we praise him. See, this isn't generic praise for God being awesome. As wonderful as my baby was, just clapping at seeing a, as a bird or that, that uh, Lifesavers commercial where it's the father with a kid, you know, and the son is saying, watch this, going, going, and the sunset's gone. And the kid goes, do it again, daddy. So, you know, this is better than that. We have been given far greater reason than that. The Lord, verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He has made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. So far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. See, this is where I want to take my unartistic soul and just inject the way that people have painted and used words to describe the glory of God. Because how far is the east from the west? The one who created them knows. How far are the heavens from the earth? He knows. And he has shown us such love. And how does David understand this? What is he talking about? You see, there is a place in Scripture, in 2 Samuel, where this is used, sins being removed. See, David, when he was king, you know this story, most of you will, he committed adultery with Bathsheba, a married woman, married to one of his officers in his army, Uriah. And then what did he do when he got Bathsheba pregnant? When he should have been a king going off to war, but he wasn't. He wasn't doing what he should have been doing. What does he do? He has Uriah killed in a cover-up. Uriah's killed. Bathsheba's taken into the palace after a period of mourning and made David's wife. And he thinks he's gotten away with it, doesn't he? Until Nathan the prophet shows up and says, you know, there's this person in your kingdom and he has taken 
It's like he was a rich person and he took, and he had all of these sheep, and he took this little sheep from this poor family who loved this little sheep. And he took it to slaughter for his guests because he didn't want to kill one of his own. And David rises in indignation and what he thinks is righteous anger and says, such a man should die for such a heart, which was beyond what God had said in the law. All right? You know, I think it was uh, if you steal a person's sheep, you give him back more sheep. I don't think that was a capital offense. And then, so David accuses this sinner and convicts him, condemns him with a sentence, even greater than what God would have, would have given. And Nathan comes out and says, You are that man. God knows your sin. God knows what you have done. Then what does David say? I have sinned against the Lord. And at that moment, he's not, he's not saying he hasn't sinned against Uriah or Bathsheba. But in the order of things, he knows that as much as he sinned against a man, he has sinned against his God. And this, murder, is a capital crime. And it applies to every one of God's people. If you're a murderer, you die, king or peasant. And so David is appalled. David is shocked. He has been found out. And he knows his sin against the Lord. And he knows the price of that sin. And then, what does the Bible say? It's important because that's where David is getting this song from. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. The Lord has taken away your sin. Those have to be the best words that David has ever heard in his entire life. David, in this psalm, is remembering how much he has been forgiven. You have the stink of murder. You have any bit of the stink of murder on you. You die too. And so as far as the east is from the west, as far as the heavens, the highest the heavens are from the earth, so far has God removed my transgression from me, says David. And so David is saying, you know how you have this attitude of praise? Do you know how you praise God regardless of what happens? You remember why he is worthy of your praise. How far is one from the other? You see, what David got a little taste of is what we see in the fullness of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one. He knows how high the heavens are above the earth because he made that trip. We just celebrated that a couple weeks ago, didn't we? And he knows how far the east is from the west because on the cross, 
as he was experiencing the forsaking of the Father, he was as far as the east is from the west. Without Jesus, our transgressions are not removed. David's murder, our sin, they are still on us. But in the cross, our sins are removed from us. Jesus experienced the wrath of God for all the sins of his people. You know, we do communion every week. I know churches that, I mean, we do communion every month. I know churches that do communion every week. Why? We do communion, whether it's once a month, once a week, once a year. That's a sad church. So, we do it to remember why we praise him. We take the bread and we remember the breaking of Jesus' body. We take the cup and we remember how he cleansed us with his blood shed. We remember and we praise. You see, after communion, if you're one of these people who take communion, you're like, I'm sorry, Jesus, for my sin. I'm sorry that you had to die for me. Then you've missed it. You've missed where you're supposed to end up. You go through that. You go through sorrow for your sin. You go to repentance, but then you get to joy because he is not merely dead. He is risen. And again, that creed, and he intercedes for you. He loves you, and he's still at it. Isn't that reason to rejoice? Isn't that reason to praise him? So you got to do things that make you remember to praise. That means doing your quiet time, meeting him in the morning. Oh Lord, in the morning will I lift my prayer, and to you will I look up. That's a good way to start the day. I bet you that the person that does that has an easier time remembering to praise God that day than the person who doesn't. This is why the cross and the empty tomb. This is why we praise him. It's not generic. It's a very specific praise. Do you praise God from, from whom all the blessings of Christ flow? And so now, we're getting to the home stretch. What do you do now at praising God and remembering to praise him? You know, how do you make sure? How do you cement it in there? What do you do with a heart full of praise? You teach all who are weak to praise him. Let me say that again. You teach all who are weak to praise him. Verse 13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The very reason the passage gives us for God's compassion 
is that He knows us in our weakness and our frailty. He knows we're created from dust. He knows that we're like the grass of the field, up and down. He knows that even the spot that that grass grew from will forget it. And yet we have the God who from before the foundations of the world knew our name. He knows how weak we are. And that is his very reason for showing compassion and love to us. He knows our sin. And that is his very reason for sending his son to be the propitiation of our sins. As a father has compassion on his children. You see, how a father shows compassion to his children is very different from how a mother shows compassion to her children. And the 70s and women's lib and feminism and everything notwithstanding, you kind of see still today what's always been true. You know, who's, who gives more tender love to the kid? Who's the one that the kid runs to when there's a boo-boo? All right? Isn't me. I'm loving. So I, I know more about anatomy than my wife. If my kid, if Abby really knew who she, you know, just, so uh, when there's a cut or a gusher or something, you know, just, she's going to the wrong person. So has a father historically show compassion to his children? There's discipline and there's teaching and there's raising up, you know, just in a particular path. You know that old expression? Wait till your father comes home. Yeah, you know what's going to happen. So there's going to be some teaching that happens. So, and what do you see there? A father gives and raises, just like uh, Proverbs. We did that in Sunday school last year. And the first third of Proverbs is the father giving wisdom wise words and teachings to his son as he's about to go off to royal court. And I'm sure that there was a mother right next to just bathing him with kisses and hugs and like, don't go, all right? And then when you go, make sure you eat well. So, but it was the father that was giving the word that would keep him alive. And so, you ever hear that expression, more is caught than taught? I learned it recently. And what it says is that, you know, it's off this principle that, that I've heard as well. You only retain 10% of what you hear. And I'm wondering, what 10% of my message are you going to retain? And I'm more concerned about what 90% of my effort was just lost. I mean, it just... So, how, 10% is miserable. Would you be satisfied with 10% of anything? 10% of the food that you raise to your mouth is what gets in. 10% of the work that you do winds up in your bank account. 10, 10%. But Scripture knows what, you know, just teaching scholars you know, just are writing research papers about now. You want to know something? Teach it to someone. You will jump from 10% of overall knowledge from just hearing something to 
Because no one knows something like a person who has to teach it to someone else. It's one of the best parts of being me. I get the 90% that you don't. Unless you teach it to someone else. That's what's going on here. Those who keep his covenant, remember to obey his precepts. How do you get righteousness in your children's children? You teach your kids to be teachers of their kids. And so I give such thanks for people like Christina and Chundi and Sherry Melcher and the Hafees and the Sullivans and Ruth Chung, you know, and for the Morgans downstairs right now and, the, and uh, James and Kathy Lead yes, everyone who has some role to play with our kids and Josiah and me doing stuff with their teenagers. I mean, ugh. Why do we do stuff with the teenagers? Because, because, I mean, come on, really, right? You get it. It's, it's not because of you. So, so, it's because we are desperate for you to have Jesus Christ. You don't want the love that I have for you. None of you do. But you want the love that any of us have for Jesus Christ. And really, you want the love of Jesus Christ. So know it by teaching it. You know, I hope that we get so many volunteers this year for next year's teaching children's uh, Sunday school, that we're like, man, we need to split them up into more classes because we need to give kids for these teachers to teach. You know, I want volunteers for our VBS. I want volunteers for Sunday school teaching, for Bible study leading, for small group leading. You know, and all of those leaders and teachers will say, you know, I got so much more out of it than the people that were getting it from me. You know, Jesus Christ in the Great Commission, what does he say? Go and baptize the nations, and I'll be with you. Is that, is that how it works? Teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. That's what follows, isn't it? Otherwise, we could just fire hose the nations. All right, baptized, done, good. Teaching them to obey, to raise them up in obedience to God's word. That is part of what God has given, what Christ has given to each of us to do. It's not just pastors and missionaries who get to do the Great Commission. Every one of you are called with your neighbors, with your friends, with your family members, your siblings, your parents, your kids, your coworkers. There is no one left out of this. And so ask yourself to identify someone that you can give a reason to praise. Now, music doesn't come naturally to me, and there are musicians among you who understand that and know that quite clearly and are confronted with that reality on a weekly basis. And, you know, just, I didn't get into guitar playing because I wanted to praise God. I got into it because my parents forced me to. Cheap $60, just Montoya acoustic guitar, and it was just murder on the fingers. And, and um, yeah, even when I got into leading worship, it was because I just wanted to lead worship because I was a prideful, just, ugh. But, so when I look at guitars and guitarists, you know, I'm just thinking, ugh, glory hounds. Bill Wong. I mean, I'm just kidding, so. <laughs> but, but 
there was a time when my church didn't have a bass guitarist. Oh, and I wanted our church to have the sound that a bass guitar adds. And so I went out and I bought a bass guitar. And I took lessons because I wanted that sound to just help people praise. And so, to me, the bass is the sound of redemption. Mike Rickert, you hang in there, buddy. So, will you learn something because you desire to impart it to someone else? You will bless yourself. You will have reason to praise God. If you have a question about Scripture, pick up your Bible, pick up a book, pick up a phone, call me, and you will be equipped to share that with others. Even if you don't know what else you can do, come out on Wednesday nights and pray. And you will bless others because we pray for all of you in this church on Wednesday night. And so we come to the end of the passage. Verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you as angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And David right here is the cosmic conductor saying, join the chorus, join in. You know, he's like the conductor for the New York Philharmonic as he gives his commands. And as all the universe turns to praise, he turns to himself again and says, soul, oh my soul, don't you forget, don't you dare forget, you have reason to praise. And if you're feeling lonely, get others to praise with you. Praise the Lord. I invite you into a time of prayer right now to prepare your hearts as the elders come forth.